I want to talk to you tonight just for a few minutes about how to have faith over our finances. How to have faith in a time like this over our finances, individually and as a church. We are living in extremely challenging days. You don't need me to tell you this is a time of great need and uncertainty. I don't know how you've been feeling 10 days on after Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But if it's anything like me, you've moved perhaps from complete heartbreak to anger, to fear and anxiety, to indignation. And then I think simply to humility. I found myself just falling on my knees knowing that actually the only weapon really that I've got in my hand is prayer. Praying to God for his peace and his justice and his power to break through at all these atrocities that we're seeing on our screens. And yet in the midst of all of these emotions, we believe in a God of hope. We hold on to hope because we believe in a God who's not asleep. It says he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not intimidated. He's not distracted. He's not surprised by the immense need before us in our world. And ultimately, he is alive. Jesus is alive. He is the one that we worship. And we believe that he is on the throne and nothing can thwart his plans or purposes. He is the king over an unshakable kingdom. We may be facing a time of crisis and great need, but God, I believe, is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to his great power that is at work within us. It's his power, but at work within us. And I believe fundamentally that is the message of this story, this miracle of multiplication. Perhaps the most famous story in the whole of the New Testament. Jesus tells this acted parable. It's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. Actually, it was a lot more than 5,000. It said here it's 5,000 men, but there was also women and children. Some people say that it was about 15,000 people who were fed on that day. Just five small loaves, two small fish. How is that possible? Well, it was all possible because somebody gave what they had. This young boy chose to not hold anything back. So many of the miracles that we find in the Bible, they're miracles of provision, often financial and material. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that speaks to us because so often the challenges around our financial security can be some of the hardest. So what is it that this story can teach us about having faith over our finances? I think the first thing is that we can take our fear and anxiety to Jesus. The disciples, in this moment, they're hoping for a rest. It's springtime. They're by the Sea of Galilee, and they've been traveling with Jesus. Jesus has been doing the works of the kingdom. He's been healing the sick. He's been preaching, and they just want a break. They want to put their feet up. 
I don't know if you feel a little bit like that, emerging out of COVID. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a bit of a break? Just put our feet up for a little while. They retreat to this mountainside with Jesus. And suddenly this crowd begins to come towards them. They're confronted yet again with this great need. Maybe you're facing a great need at this time. Maybe it's financial. You look at all of the news headlines, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to cope. But maybe it's a different need. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you're ill and you need God's healing. Maybe there's a situation in your life, maybe around a relationship. Maybe it's an issue with your work, whatever it is. And the disciples in this story, they don't know what to do. Their need is too great. And they don't know what they're going to do to meet it. And it's at this moment, as I read this story, I often think it's easy to get familiar with a story like this that we've heard so many times. But the truth is the disciples didn't know what was going to happen. Sometimes I read this and I'm like, it's all right, chaps, don't worry. Like in just a few moments, this boy's going to come and he's going to give his picnic. By the way, amazing mum, isn't it, of this massive crowd I think it's the mum who should be commended that gave this little boy a picnic. She's the one who provided. But in that moment, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. And yet here they are. They bring themselves. They bring to Jesus' attention their need. In the other Gospels, they come to Jesus and they say, it's late. This is a remote place. They're communicating to him their struggles. And it's when we do that, when we take our fear, our anxiety to Jesus, he meets us. And he meets us with compassion. It says he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He meets them with his love, out of his kindness and his compassion. That's the first thing that we see here. The second thing is that we can trust God with our financial resources. So often it's in these challenging times that God tests our trust. I think especially when it comes to money. In verse 5 it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. Jesus already had in his mind what he was going to do. All that we're facing in our world, the, the, this terrible atrocity that we're witnessing in Ukraine, I believe that Jesus already has in his mind what he's going to do. The situation that you might be facing, those challenges that I'm facing, Jesus already has in his mind what he wants to do. That's so true, and yet it's so challenging at the same time. And really, it's all about perspective. Jesus has a heavenly perspective. We find the disciples here with an earthly perspective. Jesus asks this question. It's almost like he's got a glint in his eye. You know, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? How are we going to meet this great need? And it's in this moment that the disciples, they get intensely literal, very, very practical. 
I don't know if you're like that when you're thinking about your finances at this time. So, okay, what I need to do is I need to do a budget. You know, and that's what Philip does. He starts counting. There's 5,000 men. There's probably 5,000 women. There's a few children over there or how many loaves between. You know, and he kind of works it out. And he says eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one even to have a bite. Philip, similarly, he says, there's this boy here. He's got some bread. He's got some fish. But how far will they go among so many? It's so easy for us to have an earthly perspective. But it's in these moments that Jesus invites us to have a heavenly perspective. He invites us into an adventure of faith. He invites us to trust him. And it's in this moment that we read in this story, this boy steps forward and gives what he has. Five small loaves, two small fish. It says that they're small. Maybe you feel like all you've got is small to give to God, but that's enough. It would have felt costly to him. It was sacrificial. But this boy chose to hold nothing back. I find this story such a huge encouragement because in this moment, although the disciples see their needs and the limitations of their resources, what we find is that Jesus sees the need. But he knows God's immense resources. And it's so often in these times of testing when we see God do amazing things. When we're tested, when we see him come through, it grows our faith. I'm sure many of you will have your own stories of seeing God move in this way, of his miraculous provision. I remember one particular time in our family, uh, it was in 2010, I was a student at Bible College uh, in Oxford. We were married, we had uh, four young children from one to age eight, and Despite having quite a lot less income at that time, we decided that we were going to still commit to giving to the church where we were attending. But as I came to the end of the course, the, the level of money that we had in our bank account was going sort of down and down and down and down. And we were thinking, I don't know how this is going to work out. I didn't have a job lined up after my studies. It was looking really, really challenging. And everything was bound up in that decision where we were going to live, our community, our friendships, our home, school places for the boys. It was really, really testing. But actually what we did was we decided to trust as much as we, to be honest, we didn't have any other choice. It was all we could do to fall back on God and say, okay, God, we're in this situation, but we need you to come through. And looking back, it was just so amazing to see what God did uh, this is Emily's journal from 2010, and uh, we were looking at it. Yeah, don't worry, I'm not going to read anything sorted out or anything like that. Uh, but it's amazing just reading back over the weekend what God did in just one week. So July the 12th, Monday, July the 12th, just the, I didn't have a job, but I managed to get myself an interview. And uh, this is the entry that Emily's put. She says, Martin met with the Bishop of Kensington. We're moving to London. Thumbs up, green lights, good to go. That was on the Monday. Then on the Thursday, the 15th of July, 
Emily says, checked our Lloyd's joint account this evening, expecting to find very little money in there. On viewing the online statement, I saw a deposit of over £3,000 from working tax and child tax credit. Praise God for the government. The next day, Friday the 16th of July, you can tell how low my faith was, Martin phoned the tax office to check whether they had been an error. But it wasn't. They had underpaid us last year. Emily says the timing of this financial provision is amazing. And then the following Monday, the 19th of July, it says, I received a text message from Lloyd's TSB this morning. Checked our joint account bank balance. Another £889.62 has been deposited into our account. So where we were expecting to have zero at this point on the journey, we now have £4,537.87 in the bank. We were expecting it to be zero. Somehow there was four and a half thousand pounds in our account. She says, I've been feeling overwhelmed by all that needs to click into place within the next four weeks, but also overwhelmed by God's financial provision, a symbol of his faithfulness and care. As I looked out of the window whilst in the kitchen, I noticed two baby sparrows. We don't often get sparrows in our garden. I then thought of the verse in the Bible that mentions sparrows, Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I think the word that came at that moment was, if you can trust me with your little family. That was the word that God spoke to us at that time. If you can trust me with your little family, you'll be able to trust me with the bigger church family that I give you. And I believe that's the word that he's given to us and he wants to give to us as a church. That if we put our trust, put our faith in him for our financial provision, he will honor it. He is faithful in all that he does. So we can take our fear and anxiety to Jesus. We can trust in his financial provision. And thirdly, from this passage, we see that we are to practice generosity. This boy gave generously. He gave what he had. And look at what happened. Jesus took it and it multiplied. In verse 12, it says, when they had all had enough to eat, all of them had had enough to eat, they gathered what was left over. Nothing was wasted. And they gathered 12 basketfuls all ate and were satisfied. There was more than enough. It seemed like such a small amount to meet such a great need, and yet there was an abundance. There was more than enough. This is the kind of God that we worship. We can be generous because He has been generous to us. We can't ever outgive God. Whatever we give, he will give us more. They started just with five loaves and two fish, and yet they ended up, after feeding that multitude, with 12 baskets left over. And that's the spiritual principle, isn't it? Like Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, a generous measure, pressed down, shaken together, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you give, that's the measure that you'll receive in your life. Sometimes we think the more money we hold on to, the more 
will have. I heard this silly joke about a guy who, he said when he died, he wanted to have his wealth put into gold bars and to have it buried with him. And this man died, and when he turned up at the heavenly gates, and he was met by St. Peter, St. Peter said to him, fantastic, you brought pavement. That's a joke. That is rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, not a great joke. Won't use that one again. But you see, the opposite is true in God's economy. The more we give, the more God gives to us so that we can continue to be generous. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And actually, I think that our generosity is like an antidote to fear. Maybe if you're a bit like me, sometimes the temptation when things feel like a struggle financially is to sort of hold on to it a bit more tightly. But actually, it's as we give it away, we see God giving to us so generously. And I think we can grow in generosity by practicing it. The more we do it, the easier it becomes. God wants us to give generously. And that's what so many of you are doing. That's what so many of you have done over so many years in this church. You are so generous. Often people sort of say, well, okay, what does generosity look like? How much am I supposed to give? And of course, there's the sort of Old Testament principle, which is that of tithing, where the people of God, they were commanded to give regularly the first 10% of their wealth. But that was under the law. And now we're under grace. We're free to give whatever we like. But the, the first Christians who received that grace, you know, they didn't think, oh gosh, well now we've experienced God's love, forgiveness, freedom. We're not going to give any less than 10%. They wanted to give more. When Emily and I got married and we started giving in this way, it, sort of the 10% was our starting point. That's what we do. And each time we try and stretch a little bit more. And I guess in a way, we've, we've never even really considered that first 10% as our money. It's kind of like, well, we just don't even really consider it because that, that's our tithe. And the truth is that's the case for all of our money in a sense. All of it is given by him to us. We are custodians of what he has generously given to us. And it's not always easy. So often it is a sacrifice. It's costly. Like this young boy who gave this bread and this fish. But we found that God is always faithful. He's always provided. And investing in the kingdom of God is the greatest investment that we can ever make because like it says here nothing is wasted every prayer every pound it's like a seed that's sown into the ground and it when it falls on good soil it will produce a good crop Jesus talks about multiplication 30 fold 60 fold even a hundred fold that's what God promises to do when we are generous with that which he's given to us Look at the impact that we can have as a church. Sarah talked about it, but to see people come and encounter Jesus, to see the church grow, to support those in our city who are marginalized, who are on the fringes, those in need, to engage in church planting, 
supporting global missions, engaging and equipping leaders. This is what God is asking us and calling us to. This is the vision that we have as a church. As I come into land, in verse 4 of this passage, the writer here, John, he brings to our attention the, the fact that this miracle of multiplication, it takes place at Passover time. It says in verse 4, the Jewish Passover was near. See, John clearly here, he wants us to connect this New Testament story of extravagant, abundant provision with the Old Testament story of Passover. The people of God who were freed from slavery in Egypt. And yet they find themselves in the wilderness with no water, no food. And yet God, in Exodus 16, we read, he gives them the abundant blessing of manna to eat. See, in their time of great need, God provided. In both of these stories, more than the miracles themselves, they point towards our eternal destiny, made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. They point towards that messianic banquet that we will all get to be a part of. This meal was a foretaste of what is ahead for each one of us. In verse 11 in this passage, it says that Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. That verse that is used there to give thanks. In the other gospel stories, it's the word break or to give. They're the same verbs used in the New Testament accounts at the Last Supper. When Jesus broke bread with his disciples. That which we remember every time we take communion. And I think really what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying to each one of us is that ultimately he's enough. He's enough for us. Whatever our need, however great that need seems to be, he's enough. Jesus goes on to say, I am the bread of life. He says, I'm your refuge. I'm your creator. I'm your rock, I'm your provider, I'm your father, I'm your peace, I'm your past, present, and your future. This is the future that I'm calling you into, and nothing can separate us from that eternal destiny. Nothing can separate us from his love. You see, because ultimately, in order to have faith over our finances, we need to put our faith in our Father. In order for us to have peace in our finances, we need to daily walk with the Prince of Peace. And perhaps if you're here tonight and you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've never decided to walk daily with Him, that's the most important thing that you can give tonight, to give your heart to Him and begin that journey bringing our fears, bringing our anxieties, being real with him, trusting him with our financial resources, giving generously to others. And when we do that individually and as a church, that's when we invest in this unshakable kingdom. That's when we will see this church, this city, this community, and this nation, this world transformed in Jesus' name. Amen.